The amount of inbound business that we have received probably has easily generated half a million dollars to my business without making one phone call, other than putting myself out there as a thought leader within the recruitment industry. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. I am Mark Whitby. My guest today is Sharon Hulse. Sharon is the president of ERG in Wisconsin and has 24 years of experience in the executive search industry, placing outstanding leaders. She has won numerous awards, including MRI's Person of the Year and also Account Executive of the Decade. Considering MRI is a top 10 search firm with 400 offices, being named AE of the Decade is pretty impressive. Um, Sharon's very involved in her community in terms of community service. She does pro bono searches for local nonprofits. She sits on a lot of boards. Um, recently, Sharon has published a book called A Well Done Professional Midlife Crisis How to Bleed Passion and Energy Back into Your Career. And that's published by Forbes Books. Welcome, Sharon. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Mark. So you were referred to me twice, uh, Rich Rosen and Craig Pickin, two super nice guys and who are also huge billers. How do you know these guys? So uh, Craig and I are uh, co-members, obviously, in the MRI network. Um, we both own our own offices. And then uh, Rich Rosen and I are both members of Pinnacle Society, which is the top 80 recruiters in the country. All right. That's cool. Fantastic. Well, they both were singing your praises. So uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you agreed to come on the show. Um, by the way, I just ordered your book on Amazon. It hasn't come yet. Uh, so the title is A Well Done Professional Midlife Crisis, which I'm quite intrigued by. Uh, why did you write it and what is it all about? So um, we, I started to see a trend in our industry, and that is um, because we work a strong local market as well as work nationwide, I was getting a lot of referrals from candidates that the conversation sort of went, you know, I'm really good at what I do. I make really great money, but I don't love it anymore. And I don't know why, and I don't know what to do about it. And the common theme was in, in most of the candidates were between 40 and 55. And what was happening is they were getting so far away from what it was they loved about the business. So at one point they were in the business and they were, um, you know, making great strides and, and in, in the strategy. And now they were sitting in boardrooms and meetings talking about problems. So they, they weren't loving what they were doing or things within the organization were changing to the point where what they once loved no longer existed. So I felt like rather than try to reinvent that conversation every single time, I wanted a vehicle that I could hand to them and say, here's all the things you have to think about. Here's all the, the decisions you have to make and help them to get from, I don't know what's going on, but I don't fit anymore, all the way to, here's what I'm going to do now. Here's what I'm going to do next. Wow. And so you decide to actually write them down into a book. What, who is this aimed at? Is it only executives or could it apply to anyone, any professionals or? It's really any professionals. So it's really anybody who's in a career that gets to that place where they're, it's not that they're not successful or it's not that they're not doing well. All of that piece is good. They feel the recognition of being successful, but something's missing. And why 40 to 55 is somewhat 
significant. A lot of life changes happened then too. You know, turning 50, we sort of have this epiphany on my life's half over. Of course, we're assuming we're going to live to be 100. But a lot of things, people tend to go into empty nest um, where the kids are leaving and all of a sudden the circles of friends with all the sporting events or the musicals are gone or they're different. And so there's all these life things that happen that sort of caused this reflection on the career as well. So really what the book, it's designed around their whole life. It's, and it's to go from here's where I exist today to happy. So that was the intent of the book. And, and so far, so good. I think it's really, um, it's really making a difference in the lives of the people that are reading it to really, they said they felt like the book was written for them. And it was, I mean, it was the intent of how do you, what do you think about what's all the steps to get through this to get to the end game. Sharon, I'm, I'm wondering how much of this is based on your own personal experience as much as that of the the candidates and clients that you've held. Well, once you read the book, Mark, you're going to know it's <laughs> all my story in the beginning. So um, no, no doubt, a lot of the early part of the book is just being really candid and honest about my own path. Um, you know, I was 45 when I just had this awareness that I needed more in my life and I loved what I did. And I still, I'm in the same career. I'm just, obviously um, I've owned my own now for 18 years. And, and it was during some of that time that um, I went through my own struggles of realizing that some of my personal life was impacting my professional life. And I needed, if I was going to be everything that I really desired in my life, I had to clean up all of it. Um, so I'm very, very candid about uh, my divorce. I'm very candid about, um, you know, just that reflection point of looking at my life in its totality, understanding that the one thing I never wanted to live with regrets. I just didn't want to look back and say, why didn't I do the things that I knew I was capable of because I was scared to do it. So part of the book is really giving them uh, permission to be courageous uh, not that it means you have to get divorced or any of that. There's, there's, it's my, that's my story, but it's really looking at getting your life to a place where you just feel good and you feel happy and you feel like you are not going to be sitting in your rocking chair and you're going to think, why didn't I do it? Really? That's interesting. Tell me, so do you know what, what you've just described, I think could apply to a lot of recruiters and recruiting firm owners as Absolutely. well, you know? Um, because I think there is meaning, like this is meaningful work and it, it can be very rewarding and fulfilling. But, you know, for sure, it's, I, you know, there's a time when it's easy to lose sight of why am I doing all this or is this still what I want and 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 that kind of thing. So can you, well, I don't have the advantage of having read the book yet. Can you walk us through, you know, some of the steps in terms of what a person would need to do in order to reevaluate things and get get to that place where they do feel happy again? Sure. So I'll, I'll equate it to our business because I think the challenge now, yesterday was my 24 year anniversary in the business. And wow, it, anniversary. Know, just yesterday. So, and, you know, obviously when you have a, a milestone anniversary, like, you know, you kind of start thinking about good, bad, or indifferent. And, you, you know, there's been a lot of things I would do over again, but there's nothing that I would say, um, you know, I regret that you know, I made this decision to do my own, or I regret the fact that, you know, I've tried these things. And some of the things were, you know, wildly successful. And some of them things were wildly failures. So 
Um, I think in this business, though, the trick to being a long tenured recruiter, and there's not a ton of us, as you know, um, is you have to reinvent yourself all the time. And it isn't just that you have to reinvent yourself for the market. That certainly is part of it. You have to reinvent yourself for your soul. So, so the thing that I realized at probably about year six, and this is the first part of the book, is it talks about, I sort of have this keen awareness that I was within an organization that was very transactional. Got a guy, want a guy, it was all contingent. And the way I was taught to do the business is three candidates to three companies, three companies for three candidates, right? So, right. so it was that circle, matrix. right? Yeah, and, yeah. And I just, within that first six years, I mean, I was really successful. I mean, I was standing on stages and I was making a lot of money. So, you know, I, from a success standpoint, I personally felt very successful. But what I realized is people were getting jobs because of that transaction, because of the resume. But the only way they retain the job is here. Who are they in their heart? What's the heartbeat of the organization? And how do those things mesh together? So there was really this tremendous pull between the organization I was working for and the way I knew the business in my heart needed to be done. If I was going to really help companies grow, I needed to do it in a different way. Now, a lot of people do it that way now, but back then, nobody was going out visiting face-to-face. Nobody was spending an entire day in the organization, meeting the whole leadership team one-on-one, finding out the values, finding out the culture, finding about a, out about hires that didn't work and why they didn't work, and then comparing that to hires that were wildly successful and people who in the organization were highly performing, and what did that look like, and then taking that out to market and finding the right candidate. So we were kind of an early adapter to that model. And from there, I've done a million different things to reinvent Employment Research Group. But that's what keeps it fresh and fun for me. Writing the book was another part of that. You know, you get to a place where it's like, okay, uh, I'm 55 years old. I've done this now for 24 years. What's next? What's next? So, you know, a year ago, I had been writing a book, wasn't getting it done. Forbes contacted me, asked if I'd ever consider writing a book. Kind of started laughing and said, I've been writing a book for five years. I'll never get it done. And lo and behold, they really assisted me in putting my thoughts together to get it over the finish line. So um, now that's something new for me to talk about is what have we observed with that that worker that gets mid-career and just kind of wants to reinvent themselves as well. And here's the thing. The book does not encourage people, all people to leave their career. I mean, it doesn't say, okay, here's how you find your next job which obviously people would think because of the business I'm in, it really has a very large section about how do you reinvent yourself within the organization you're in and bleed passion and energy back into your career. So it's thinking about every aspect from finances to the organization you're in, how what kind of impact you're making, all the way to maybe you do need to find something new to do on a daily basis. So it's all of it. Mm. Wow, that's cool. It's certainly in the recruiting industry, uh, it it can be a burnout, you know, situation where it's hard to sustain that productivity, the energy required. And uh, I mean, it's a demanding role, right? And to be doing the same, more or less the same things day in, day out for weeks, for months, for quarters, for years, um, even if it's going really well, then, you know, it's hard to really, hard to sustain that. Um, what, 
advice would you have for recruiters who are finding that, that like, especially, I mean, we're going to talk about uh, how to run a desk in, in, you know, in a recession or a crisis like we are at the moment, but this is a kind of time where people do stop and think and take stock of, you know, what they're doing and, you know, do I need to press reset? Do I, are we just going to go back to doing pretty much what I was doing before, or do I need to really rethink what I'm doing? Um, so what, you know, what's the, like the first step in, if someone realize, sort of has a self-awareness, realizes I'm not loving this anymore, um, what's the first step for them to kind of get clarity on their situation? So I would tell you that, I mean, obviously it's challenging times. I've been through two recessions, 9-11, and now a pandemic. So in my career, I've been through a lot. Um, the, the one thing that I think has made us resilient and stay optimistic and energetic and actually continue to build through all of this is really understanding what does value mean for your customers. And, you know, Recruiters, we tend to have pretty healthy egos and, and we, we love to look inwardly, right? And say, well, this is what I need to do to build more. This is what I need to do to make candidates understand um, how this process looks in, in times of challenge. I look at it very differently. While I want to bill and I have a, a level of billings, I mean, I still run a desk 24 years later. So, and, and quite frankly, I do it to stay relevant with all of my team and to stay relevant with my clients. I want to know what value means to them. I mean, we've done so many things from um, helping them, um, for example, with, I, I am not a contract staffing company at all. We're executive search. We do full shortlist, fully retain the whole thing. We've done a little bit of contract where we'll offer a candidate, you know, on a short term, just to get them through while they, they can't really, they don't want to add to their payroll. They're already, maybe they got the PPP loan and they've, They've already hit that max, so they don't need to add numbers, but they need help. We offered up that. For people who got laid off, we did a five-part, very quick laid off series. Here's the first, and it was like three to five minutes every day on here's the five things you need to do prior to going out and interviewing. Some of it is just simply the psychological aspect of what we do. Um, it's easy to get yourself really down. It's easy to panic. And it's easy for our candidates to freak out and say, you know, there's 40 million people unemployed. How am I going to find something? Or how am I going to reinvent myself in a, in a market like this? So much of that is mind over matter. Um, so any of the recruiters that I'm working with, whether they're outside the office or inside our office, you know, here's, here's absolutely my take. And, you know, I think to the, for the most part, people appreciate this. I want everybody to be safe. We will follow the COVID rules. We will social distance. We'll do all those things. But inside our doors, COVID-19 doesn't exist. I don't dwell on it. We don't talk about it. It was like when we were in a recession. I said, I understand our country, country is in a recession. We have chosen not to participate. We had our best year ever. Wow, and cool. Again, it's just so much of it is if I want to dwell in oh my gosh, we're in the middle of a pandemic, nobody's hiring, then in re reality, we're not going to find any work. But if I say, how do I, become, right, how do I become that strategic partner for my clients in helping them with whatever they need, we can get through this and we can get through it in a healthy way. 
But sh- so Sharon, let me play devil's advocate here for a second, because there'll be recruiters listening going, come on, Sharon, you know, you can't. I mean, reality is that there's a high unemployment. Uh, a lot of um, industries are, you know, some industries are more effective than others, of course. But uh, there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, whether, whether it's 50 percent, 60, 70, 80 percent of companies are really slowing down or completely putting pause on their hiring. Some are letting people go. How can you say it's just mind over matter? So I'll give you an example of things that we that we do. So um, with, through the book, and we do this through the book, but we do some consulting with candidates that, for whatever reason, got furloughed. So in their higher level, we'll actually take them through all that. We have kind of a workbook that goes with the, the book. We'll take them through from start to finish, putting together an absolute business plan for finding a new job. So it's all the things that people don't do really looking at where do I fit? What are, what's the return on investment if someone hires us? How do I present myself? Um, what am I naturally good at? Not just what I trained and educated myself to, but what am I naturally good at? We charge a couple hundred dollars an hour for that service. For employers, we have a lot of people who are looking at um, outplacement, um, hire, fire, rehire, all these things. We consult through that. So sometimes the revenue doesn't just have to come from search. People need assistance. This is our, you know, it's kind of like the brain surgeon. I'm not going to do brain surgery and I sure don't want him to find me a new job. We all have our gifts, right? What we do is we consult companies and we consult candidates on how to make really great people decisions. And the reality of people are a company's most valuable asset, whether they sell a widget or not, the people within are their most valuable asset. We happen to deal with their most valuable asset. So while we might not bill as much realistically as we have in the past, there's also to sit there and say, there's no way I can I can get through this. There's no way I can bring in revenue. I think is um, it's the easy way out. And it's not looking at how do I reinvent myself in times of challenge. The other thing is you can always, early on, I would have dug my heels in and said, this is the industry I work this is a space I work and I'm not going outside that. Now I wouldn't go from, you know, something that's extreme, but there are always pockets of every industry that are better than others. Being a market analyst and really understanding where those pockets are and making a little bit of a shift, I, I think is good business. I don't, they got to look at it as their own practice. Even if they're within a large firm or a small firm or sitting in their kitchen, this is your business. This is your practice. If you are a lawyer, what would you do? It's the same thing with being an executive search consultant. How do I how do I make good business decisions for my practice? Excellent. So we seem to have um, segued into what I wanted to ask you anyway, which is about you running a desk during a, a crisis or a challenging environment. And so far, I've uh, heard three specific things from you. One is about mindset, not getting too caught up in the bad news you know, folks staying focused on, you know, your goals and how you can continue delivering value for your clients and candidates and uh, just deciding that you're going to, you know, do well regardless of what happens. So part of that is mindset. Secondly was being creative about the revenue models. So, you know, of course, you've still got search, but you're also doing uh, some consulting and outplacement for clients 
and also uh, some sort of career consulting and coaching for candidates. So you've got, you know, different revenue streams. Um, and I, I, is this, am I all, uh, on track so far? Yes. Um, one thing that I would tell you um, is the other caveat that's really important mm-hmm. during times of challenge is you have to have very different conversations with companies. Mm-hmm. So okay. um, I actually did this presentation yesterday and it's on what I call strategic marketing. And it's really understand every company has essential workers. That's the new term, right? Everybody yeah. has positions that are really critical for them to continue to generate revenue. You know, unfortunately, because of what happened and it happened so quickly, some of those essential workers aren't there anymore. And it, it this isn't about finding a search. This is about really understanding how that hire impacts the organization. And then if you have what we call an MPC in our in our world or a candidate um, that you also know adds tremendous value, you can do that both ways. You can help the company by really defining what does that essential worker do and what does that look like out in the marketplace? And then on the other side, if you and not to put necessarily two together, but have a candidate. So kind of that strategic MPC marketing where you really put together a business case. So it's a sales process to develop a business case around taking that person to market. So we've done that with three people um, since April. I had three people and, and it's very thoughtful. It's doing a lot of research around companies that would be a fit for this person that that they now have the opportunity to garner where they maybe didn't before. They could have not gotten that amazing talent. Um, really putting together the return on investment. What is this person outstanding at? All of those things. And then taking that person to market. We've added about $110,000 in billings in the last two months doing that. Fantastic. So Wonderful. It's there if you approach yes. things in a very different way. That makes sense. So the following on from that, then the third thing was analyzing your market, identifying where there's pockets of opportunity, um, which, you know, and it might mean not necessarily a r- radical departure from your niche, but, you know, it might, you might need to pivot and go into something uh, slightly different. But number four is identifying those MPCs, most placeable candidates who have the potential to add the maximum value to your client companies or your prospective client companies that are really essential to that company continuing to prosper. And um, and then based on your research, taking those candidates to market and tr- generating revenue that way. Yeah, we all have, um, and, and again, an MPC, the one thing I always caution people is it needs to be a really true MPC because we all have people yes. that we, you know, we think they're pretty good. That's not an MPC. What I'm talking right. about is the people that in a good market, they would have no way to probably garner that high a level or that amazing talent that now all of a sudden you have the ability to take to market. And those are the, the any, any business will opportunity hire for someone who can make an immediate impact in their organization. And that's the type of person I'm talking about is they'll, they'll spend the money even though they don't want to and they don't. They feel like, you know, timing's not right, but this is their one shot at bringing somebody on board that they otherwise would never get the opportunity to do it. 
those people exist out there and those are the people we're taking to market. And like I said to my team, if every other month we get a pop, we've just added and their fees tend to be bigger. They're 40, 50, $60,000 fees. All of a sudden you start adding three, four, five hundred thousand dollars to your bottom line by doing that every other month. So it doesn't even have to be big. It's just being thoughtful about the process to put together to, to get that information out to, and again, it's maybe 10 really thoughtful, well, um, well-researched calls as opposed to, you know, a smiling and dialing 50 companies to see who'd be interested. Right, right. Sharon, I'm interested to find out, to almost put together two different things that you said, because uh, a few minutes ago, you talked about the consulting you do with candidates to help them put a business plan together and really identify, you know, the, their value proposition, for example. And that's something we also need to do when we're working with NPC, right, is help them to articulate that, to get clear on the quantifiable achievements, the benefit that they'll bring or the, the result they're going to be able to deliver, the impact they're going to make for their next employer. And I find that this is this is often missing. And this is why MPC, if it doesn't work, it's either it's not a true MPC, as you said earlier, or you're, you haven't done the research, you're not targeting the right organizations with that talent. Or number three, you haven't really identified what is special about this person and that allows them to make the impact. Do you, what's your process for uncovering, you know, that ballot candidate value? So um, the chapters of the book, each chapter has an exercise. So okay. we basically take them through every exercise in the book. So it starts out with um, the candidate taking a little bit of time, you know, a week or so to clearly define what are they really passionate about? And then what are they naturally good at? And how I explain that is, it's not something that you educate yourself to. It's not something that you train to, but in your DNA, you're just good. So I always might equate this with the candidate. I say, remember the kid in high school that you hated because he was good at every sport and it, he never practiced or the girl who got straight A's and never cracked a book. That's a natural DNA gift. Every person has a natural DNA gift. So when you work to that, you work to your natural gifts, you excel quicker because it just comes to you naturally. So we start there and then there are exercises throughout the book that we take the candidates through to really start to hone in and define their return on investment, the impact they make quickly within organizations, um, the transferable skills. That's a big one because most people, some people have non-competes at a high level um, and sometimes they just need to refresh, right? They don't want to stay in the same industry, but that's where they're the most marketable. You have to be really, really clear about the recruiter and the candidate on what the transfer, transferable skills are and how those transferable skills impact the organization that you're talking to. Um, I would tell you that this business, this MPC today takes on a much more strategic business, thoughtful conversation than got a guy, want a guy, he's, he's really great or she's really great. It's being very thoughtful about their value proposition, the company, um, what it is they've done during COVID. So a lot of companies have, have sort of transformed their business to be COVID positive. Um, and they're doing things they've never done before in support of not only COVID-19, but also in support of their own business. Knowing those things are very, very helpful to being able to have the discussions about how that candidate could immediately make impact. Challenge is if the candidate can't make immediate impact, they're gonna have a hard time hiring them. 
Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading, and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I love recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. You uh, mentioned to me in our email exchange that um, inbound marketing is changing the landscape of recruitment. Could you talk to that a little bit? Sure. So um, I'll, again, you'll find I'm extremely candid. I hated social media. I hated it. Um, and, it, and the reason why I think I hated it, it felt very um, paparazzi, self, self, you know, look at me, look at me, how amazing mm-hmm. I am, all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it took a while for me to really embrace the whole concept of outbound marketing and social media. What I will tell you, Mark, in hindsight of now being incredibly focused on social media for three years, it has transformed our business. Absolutely transformed our business. Not only do people, they're aware of who we are. I get opportunities like this to talk to people like you that I never probably would um, without people being aware of who we are. Plus people understand that we're not, you know, part of this challenge we deal with and a lot of recruiters deal with is we're in Appleton, Wisconsin. So people assume that we're a search firm that at most works in Wisconsin. Well, if I had to live off the business, only the business we did in Wisconsin, now don't get me wrong, we do great business in Wisconsin. I wouldn't be happy with that revenue. We work across the country. We have a great national presence, for example, on our construction desk. And now we can talk about that and people all over the country are watching us. I think I have 11,000 LinkedIn connections. Obviously, I don't know all of them intimately, but they're watching us and they're going, wow, that's really neat. And I didn't know they did that. And I didn't know she wrote a book. And so it, it, all it is, is really a point of awareness. But the amount of inbound business that we have received uh, probably has easily generated half a million dollars to my business without making one phone call other than putting myself out there as a thought leader within the recruitment industry. What would you say are the best three things that you've done towards this effort of um, positioning yourself as a thought leader and generating more inbound, uh, inbound leads? So I will tell you, um, and this is more, this is more of a Wisconsin thing, although um, I think from an outward perception, it's it's uh, shows the heart of our organization. So uh, when I first started in this business, I really didn't know anybody. I mean, I worked for a very old school MRI owner. 
So I sat in an office and I was a mushroom, right? I made phone calls and I didn't know anybody. And I was new to Appleton. We had moved here um, and I wanted to get involved in the community. So I decided I was going to do all the not-for-profit searches for executive leaders pro bono. So we've done 78. I'm on my 78th one right now. Wow. We don't charge any fee for that. That's incredible. I know. But I will tell you, um, I mean, we've been recognized for it, which is which is lovely. And, and I'm very honored. But that isn't why we do it. It's the right thing to do. I'm not, you know, I'm not one of these folks that worked at a big corporation and, and they donated millions and millions of dollars. I'm an independent small business owner. So for me, it's a great way to use my time and talent to contribute back to the community and change what our community um, I, I look back now we've done it 18 years and I look back from what our not-for-profit community was 18 years ago and what it is today. We went from a lot of really awesome people who maybe weren't business people, but were um, well intending um, will help any way they can people to executive leaders who are changing the strategy and the amount of services there are now we're now able to offer within our community a hundredfold. So I'm, I'm most proud wow. of that. So that was one Absolutely. of the things that, that early on we did that I think really changed. Now, how we use that, obviously, we talk about those searches, we send them out, and then we talk about the successes at the end of who got placed and all those things. So that, that from an outbound really helps us because people see that we're willing to give back. So that's one. The other thing is I want to be relevant to whatever's happening. So that means doing podcasts, um, you know, writing, um, whatever it is I can do to cut through the noise. I don't want to. I don't want to be just repetitive, but to really be thoughtful and candid. The other thing is, I, I always say I lost my filter at about year six in this business. So <laughs> really talking about the topics, the way that people um, really need someone to address them, as opposed to sugarcoating it and saying. It's all good and it's all, but really saying it's kind of like the book. Everybody deals with this, but nobody wants to talk about it. So Mm -hmm. what I did is I said, okay, so here's my story. I know this is real. Every chapter has a candidate story in it. So you know that there's a lot of people who have these same issues and this is a very real thing. So don't feel like you're alone on an island because the way you feel today is the way hundreds of thousands of people feel every day. So that was part of it. Um, and then, you know, it's it's acknowledging other people. So acknowledging what our clients are doing. So what we try to do, and, you know, recruiters are so damn scared to say, this is my client. Well, if you're not doing a good job, then you should be scared. I always figure if I'm not doing a good job for them and I put it out there and somebody calls and they work with them, then that's on me. That's not on, that's not on them. So for me, we do, we, we, promote our clients. We talk about the cool stuff they're doing. We have a client of the month. We we publish all that because I look at it, we're in this together. It isn't just about employment resource group. This is about what one of my construction companies is doing or one of my banking clients is doing or credit unions or car dealerships. I want to recognize their accomplishments as well. And that also helps them to you know, help get their business out and they look at it as more of a partnership. So for me, um, community, uh, candidate, client, um, and then um, I'm missing our fourth bucket, community. We have four buckets that we focus on 
to try to make sure that we're always having different messages, but yet we're trying to help um, all facets and, and just try to be thoughtful of listening is what is the noise about? And then how do we talk about it in a way that maybe takes it, kicks it up a notch and, and takes it to a little bit more candid level? Okay, so that's awesome. I, I totally get the strategy and you have different buckets that you talk about. So one is the community stuff that you're doing. One is the great clients you're working with, uh, promoting them. One is articles that people can really relate to uh, or stories oh, people can culture. really relate to. Came to me. Culture is the fourth one. There we go. Okay, awesome. So community, clients, uh, what culture, and candidates. Okay, brilliant. Um, so on a just getting to the nitty gritty here, Sharon, how do you transmit this information? Is it videos? Is it written articles? Like what, what are you putting out there and with what frequency? So we post something twice a day. So twice a day. And sometimes okay. it's more than that. Um, and I did after kicking and screaming and having my little fit, I hired a social media person. Right. Um, so we, we make sure that we mix up the message and then we track what does well and doesn't do well. So we can, uh, we can hone obviously what works and what doesn't work, but mm -hmm. twice a day we post something. So we, we try to be proactive. So we look at the week ahead and sometimes it's culture. So it's our, we do office Olympics on Thursdays. So we have a team building exercise from four to five on Thursday afternoons. And then the next day we'll post what we did. So it could be oh, sliding Oreo cookies down our nose to chair races out <laughs> the parking lot. Whatever it is, we post it. And that's the culture stuff. Community would be in any of the not-for-profit searches, um, a not-for-profit that did something. So we just did a search not very long ago for um, an organization that kind of hosts Special Olympics. And they had mm -hmm. ice cream day at Culver's. So we all went in support of buying ice cream so that they would donate a portion of that back to the organization. So we take pictures of fun stuff like that. Anything that the um, organizations are doing, client obviously is that. It's anything from client of the month to something the client's doing. And then same thing on a candidate perspective. If we place someone or if uh, we have a lot of clients that we place or candidates rather that we place that do pretty amazing things, you know, mm. and, and we're very proud of our tenure. We have a lot of tenure within the people we place. And when they get promoted. So recently I had a gentleman who just got promoted. I placed him as a baby project engineer and he became the president of the company. I mean, wow. how cool is that, right? hundred years later. So we, we promote that stuff. We're so proud of them. We're proud of their accomplishments. So there's lots of things that we do. Um, and if anybody, they can, they can go through our social. I don't care. I mean, mm. I steal stuff. People can steal stuff from us. We just try to make sure that uh, we just keep it relevant. Some things resonate really well. Some things fall flat. I guess that's what social media is. You're never going to have everything you do be loved by people. It's just really more of an awareness of we're here. Um, we hear you. We'll do things to help you. We'll do things to make you aware that we've had some successes. It's a little bit of all of it. I love it. So Sharon, is it, do you have an email newsletter as well, or is it primarily like LinkedIn? And so um, we haven't, we have, we do have an email newsletter. Um, now I'm not big on a newsletter format because I don't read anybody else's. So why would people right. read mine? So ours tends to be, um, what we do is we do the email blast on things that are relevant. So you had mentioned the person of the year. We just did that one. Hey, so honored. We know that it's because of you guys that, that that was recognized. Same thing with being on the Forbes 
Um, we again got recognized on the Forbes top 200 executive search firms. That's getting ready to go out on an email blast saying thank you for um, helping us to achieve that. Um, we'll send out articles that um, I write a lot. Obviously, I wrote a book. I like to write. So I, I write a lot on LinkedIn and we'll push those articles out. And it could be on anything. It could be on employee engagement. It could be on COVID. It could be on any number of topics. But we'll push all that stuff out. So we really mix it up, but we try not to inundate people. I find it's about communication, not interrogation. So I communicate maybe with my clients at most every other week. I'll send something only if it's relevant. If it's not, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not I'm not here to create more noise for them. I'm here to create content that I think will help. Right. So twice a month is your kind of normal yeah. uh, frequency. For like every months. other week we'll send something. Yeah. Okay. That sounds awesome. By the way, uh, just for everyone listening, I have a free masterclass about inbound marketing, which if you're interested in, is called Inbound Marketing Roadmap for Recruiters, How to Generate Warm Leads on Autopilot. And uh, if you if you want to get uh, access to that for free, it's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash masterclass. So excited to talk to Sharon about this because it's one of my sort of favorite topics. And I always like to hear what people are doing, what's working. And um, and I can see you, you're doing a fantastic job with that, Sharon. Um, you've alluded to your team quite a few times. Would you briefly explain the structure of your organization and how, how your company works? Yeah. So, um, and this was a, another decision made early on when I started Employment Resource Group. So the, the model I started in under was a full 360 desk. So yeah. the person obviously does both biz dev and they do recruiting. Uh, it didn't take me long to figure out that I love marketing and I'm pretty good at bringing in job orders. Um, and not that I can't recruit, I certainly can. It's just not my favorite thing. I love the art of the hunt and the sale and all of that with the client. Yeah, um, me and, too. And as a business owner, I get the challenges and the problems and the strategies they're trying to figure out. So I split us almost immediately when I start ERG. I myself did all the, I bring in all the job orders for the organization. And then I have a team of recruiters that help me fill them. And they're industry segmented. So I have construction and I have banking finance and uh, credit union, and I have function-based or what we call our service division, which is the HR, finance, IT, operations, um, sales, anything across the top of an organization. So we're segmented that way. Um, I did recently hire another uh, business development person to work with me, um, A, to grow the company, and B, because I was supposed to be right now on a book tour. Um, and that obviously got canceled because of COVID, right. but um, he's, he's doing a great job and, and it just helps us to break into, you know, as you grow, you can't serve a million masters and everybody who's watching this knows. I mean, you can only handle so much yourself. So for me, um, our organization got big enough that I became a little bit of the bottleneck as it related to um, bringing in enough job orders for how big the organization was getting. So by adding another uh, business development person, it allowed us to break into new geographies and some of that, which has been great. So we're going to continue that path now, uh, potentially even bringing on um, another person once we, you know, we're, we're two, we did just hire a gentleman, which is great. I mean, there are some really great recruiters out there right now that are available. Sure. So we're open to that, but uh, we'll probably do a biz dev person, I would say, fourth quarter or early first quarter 2021. So how many people have you currently got in the team? 11. 11, okay. 11. Fantastic. So, and and pretty much um, other than our admin team that does like all the short list presentations, because we are 
100% shortlist fully retained. So there's a lot of administration Great. that goes with it. Yes. Um, everybody else is, is um, doing the recruitment. Got it. Oh, but you've got your social media person as well. Yes. Well, that's part of the admin team. Yeah. Oh, I see. I got it. Okay. Fantastic. By the way, are you, have you switched to a virtual book tour, Sharon? A little bit. So um, I would tell you that the uh, keynote speeches, most of them are going to be virtual. I've only done one so far. All of them were pretty much in the fall. Um, So that will happen. The part that got sort of was the going into Barnes and Nobles across the country and um, do it because the book is carried by Barnes and Noble and Walmart and all of those. And those were all set. And now that has really gone on pause because of the social distancing and all of that. Um, I'm hopeful that it'll start again next year. But at this point, um, I'm really trying to, I'm actually appreciative because I feel like my being hands-on on the desk is more relevant right now with what's going on. Of course. Um, and quite yes. frankly, we had the best two months, the last two months that we've had in a long time. And I think it's a combination of uh, people working remote and, and being less um, distracted, as well mm-hmm. as my uh, having the time to just really sort of get rid of the extra things and just really focus on running a desk. Right. Wow. That's interesting that you have had your best two months. I would encourage you to really, for your book, I mean, um, focus on doing things like this because I mean, the Barnes and Noble is great credibility, but realistically, how many people are going to turn like you get what, 10, 20, 30 people to show up and want their book signed. But on something like this, I'm going to have, you'll have 500 to 1,000 people who download this episode. And so in terms of getting the word out, um, you know, doing this kind of thing could actually give you a, a better return on effort. Um, so congratulations on having your, your best couple of months for a while, especially given everything that's, that's going on now. Um, I think the other thing I wanted to ask you was uh, related to your your team. So you have both sector as well as functional kind of specialties. Um, And, you know, what are the key areas that you, you know, that you do work in? What are your areas of of specialty? Yeah. So uh, construction is our biggest space by far. That was my desk when I first started. So uh, we have a pretty robust national practice in construction. Um, and I still work that industry and I love it. I mean, it's just so much fun. Um, we have a banking credit union um, industry uh, that we work in. That's mostly Midwest. So we do the Midwest right. states kind of up and down the central United States in that practice. And then the function based is any industry. Um, so primarily we work in that in manufacturing and we do operation, a lot of operations in manufacturing but it can be anything from, you know, a car dealership, large car dealership to um, a, a Goodwill where we'll do HR or finance or IT or all of those. So I have different people that have industry function-based knowledge. So mm-hmm. um, we do quite a bit in that as well, a lot in our local market. Interesting. And how, how long have you done retained only? Since uh, starting Employment Resource Group, so 18 years. Great. I, uh, I'm i an evangelist about the retained model. I think um, contingency, it just doesn't make sense to me that 
Like if you fill one in three or one in four, one in five searches you're working on, that means you're working 60 to 80% of your time for free. Right. And it, it, it doesn't lead to the best customer service for the client or the candidate for that matter. Everyone is sort of disenfranchised from the whole, the whole thing. Um, but the big question I get asked by recruiters, of course, there's, there is a, an art and science to, to being able to win retainers. But, um, you know, the biggest question is, yeah, but Mark, <clears throat> you know, my clients don't want to work that way or they're used to, they have a approved vendors list or they have a, you know, preferred suppliers they work with. Um, and they, why would they, why would they pay me a retainer? What, and I think this is a largely a mindset shift, but what was the decision for you that this is the way you're going to do it? You're only going to do it this way. And, um, you know, how did you come to that? So, you know, that this story is also in the book. Um, okay. Awesome. Yeah. So I had worked a contingent desk for just just shy of seven years when I bought my desk. My my um, the owner of my organization was sixty eight, so the transition was fairly easy. I purchased my practice and started employment research group. And that that day, I decided I wasn't doing it any other way. I lost my top three clients, so fifty uh. percent of my business went away, and I held my ground. And here was the conversation. I said, "Listen." You have changed your value proposition multiple times since we've started working together. I am now changing mine. I'm good at what I do. I'm a top five construction practice in the country, and I knew that. If you want to work with me as the owner of this organization and have me work on your searches, you need to pay me to do it. And I was firm. My feet were planted in concrete, and I never wavered. So there's two things I said, I'm not working for less than 25% ever. And I never have. And I'm right. going, if they don't pay me a retainer, I don't work on it. So, I mean, I'll MPC, but that is a one and done. So here's the reality. If you, if they know that about you and you deliver, therein lies the, the proverbial question, right? They will pay you a retainer. But if you don't deliver, they're going to go to somebody else and they're going to get the work for free and hope that between the five people, someone will find them. Right, right. We delivered and they knew it. Within three months, all three of those clients were back and I signed an exclusive contract. Every other recruiter that calls them has to call me to MPC the candidate. So not only did I get that, I also got an exclusive and, and have held that exclusive all those years now since then. Wow, that's awesome, Sharon. What I you had the courage to do that though, right? I think that is the first and foremost is making that decision and because what stops people is the fear of losing the business, but what if they say no or what if they don't want to work that way? But you decided that this you believed in it and that is the only way you were going to work and in the short term you were prepared to lose those top 3 clients. Um, because you you understood that it, you were positioning yourself correctly for the for the future. Now, so, uh, what I would ahead. say is I wouldn't start it right now in COVID. Right, right sure. Right, I wouldn't do it right now. <laughs> uh, but the market will come back and it will yeah. get busy again. And that's the perfect time. When you have already existing assignments, it's the perfect time to make that shift. And it is the conversation, especially if anybody's been in it for any any length of time. You know, I know I'm good at what I do. I am also the leader of this organization. So here's what the bigs do. 
they take the assignment and they give it to all the underlings to work on. Or you can do the same thing with me and I'm going to work on it. I have the industry knowledge. I have the strategic perspective. I understand how a good hire impacts your bottom line or not. And I understand enough about your organization to know who fits and who doesn't and what you're looking for as it relates to growing your culture. If you want that versus a two-year new recruiter working on your stuff, then you're going to pay me the retainer. If you don't care, then give it to the bigs. And it's that confidence to be able to say, your choice. I, I never, ever want somebody to think I'm so desperate that I will do anything to sign a retainer or I will do anything to get an assignment. Because the bottom line is if I put myself in that position, then I need to deal with that, not them. So, and I think it's just the willingness and, and it does take courage. The The one thing I've always said that I think has been, it's, it's A, my natural gift and B, it has made me successful in this business is I am not scared of a fight. I, I have the courage to take on whatever I need to take on. Um, and my father was exactly the same way. I didn't know that until my sister said, oh my God, you're so much like our dad. Um, and that is, I'll charge the hill with anybody. And, and I, will, I will defend my clients to the death. No matter what happens, I will defend them to the death because they've defended me when I needed it and they've worked with me when times weren't great. But I will tell you that um, you got to have the courage to go there or else you're just like everyone else. And again, some people are comfortable with that and they make a great living on contingent search. It's just not the world I wanted to live in. I don't like playing headhunter. I hate it. I am not a good headhunter. I want to be an advisor. If I can be an advisor, it's great. If I have to, and I've actually said that to people who've called me and they say, well, this is how we work. I go, okay, I'm just going to pause. If we're going to play headhunter, I know I'm not going to be the right one for you. So if we can go past that part of the conversation, I'm good. I just say it because I don't want to play headhunter. I'm too damn old at this point in my life and in my career to play headhunter anymore. What do you now? I just want to make sure I'm understanding your terminology. When you say play headhunter, what does that mean? to you? It's all about the commodity pricing and all about contingent and all about I want a lot of people working on it. I, I try to explain it like this. I go, okay, so this is what headhunter is to me. It's when they think more is better and they think that um, it's the race to the bottom. So from a price perspective, it's the Walmart, and again, don't take any offense, Walmart, but it's it's the Walmart of pricing. He who gives me the best price wins. This isn't about price for me. This is about impacting your business. If he who gets to the bottom price is how you're going to gauge whether I'm a good recruiter or not. That's that I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not. I like it. Okay. That makes total sense. Sharon, let me let, uh, we'll tell people how to get in touch with you. So you've got ergsearch.com is your company website, but for promoting your book and the other things you're doing, you've got SharonHulse.com, H-U-L-C-E. So SharonHulse.com. Sharon, thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, me too, Mark. Thank you for uh, having me on and thanks for promoting my book. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, I can't wait to get my copy and, and, uh, and read it. So looking forward to it. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Just before you go, let me ask you one question. Who in your network would make a great guest on the Resilient Recruiter podcast? I'm always on the lookout for interesting people to interview. 
recruitment entrepreneurs who embody the ethos of the resilient recruiter. If you're a regular listener, you'll know the kind of person I'm looking for. Ordinary men and women who've achieved extraordinary things. Specifically, I'm looking for someone with a great story to tell, someone who's overcome adversity in pursuit of their goals, and who's open to sharing their own mistakes and learning experiences with our listeners. In the words of previous guests, John Coxon and Alex Elliott, I'm looking for someone with humble confidence. They could be a top producing solo or independent recruiter or the owner of a fast growing firm. Maybe that person is you, or maybe it's someone you know. Send me your recommendations, mark at recruitmentcoach.com or feel free to nominate yourself. And if you think you meet the criteria I've just outlined, I'd love to hear from you. Once again, it's mark at recruitmentcoach.com. Remember to hit subscribe and I'll see you next time.